Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the writer Jessie Burton. Jessie burst into our world with her debut novel, The Miniaturist, which was probably the last book I enjoyed reading at the same time as practically everyone else I knew. It turned into one of those rare collective reading experiences that I love so much. The Miniaturist is set in 17th century Amsterdam and was inspired by Petronella Ortman's Dollhouse, which can now be found in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. It's been turned into a brilliant television series and the book was famously subject to an exciting bidding war at the 2013 London Book Fair and has sold over a million copies since. Following on from The Miniaturist came The Muse, another Sunday Times number one bestseller, then Jessie's first children's book, The Restless Girls, then The Confession and Medusa, and now, just out, I have right here beside me The House of Fortune, which is actually a sequel to The Miniaturist. I'm literally only about three pages in but really looking forward to getting into it. Jessie originally trained as an actor, and I first met her while she was juggling her acting and writing her first book. And at the time, I had no idea what an exciting adventure was about to unfold. So it's with huge thanks that I welcome old friend, amazingly talented writer, and generally lovely person, Jessie Button, to This Is A Token. Thank you very much for giving up your time and coming oh, along. Oh, that's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so do you do that sometimes where you think about something you did and it makes your hair follicles hurt because you're so embarrassed <laughs> about how embarrassing it was? Oh, uh, yes, quite a lot of the time. When I met you, mm. first met you, um, I'd just written my book and I got an advance from my book. So I was like feeling like really kind of like, hey, aren't I this great writer? Um, and you said that you'd been working on this book and you were going to kind of give up the acting and really go for it and try and get... And I think, you, I don't know if you had an agent or not, but, you know, you really wanted mm. to get it published. But you've been working on it for years, right? And I kind of remember, I don't know how you remember it, but I kind of remember going, <laughs> oh, Jesse, you know, writing's a hard game. Don't give up the day job. <laughs> You're a sweet little thing, you know. But, um, and I was just like, oh, my God, what a dick I was. Because, <laughs> because it was you. And that book was, like, so amazing. I mean, did you think? Did you have any suspicions? No, no. And being told to not give up my day job, I, you know, I would have thought it was quite sensible advice that I would, would say to other people as well. No, I didn't because it's not kind of why I wrote the book. It's not why I wrote at all is to, you know, sell loads of copies because, you know, I'd been in the acting business, as you said, and I know well enough that like expecting that you're going to make a hearty living from the arts is naive at best. So I just really wanted to be published and I don't know really what I thought beyond that. So when it did start, you know, going a bit crazy, I just didn't have the kind of structure in place to understand that it was just mad like you worked on that book mm. because you were ju- you were doing other things as well yeah I was, I was a PA in the city and I did a lot of temping for a lot of yeah. years yeah so it was in the making was it like years and years in the making well I first went to Amsterdam when I first saw Nella's cabinet house or doll's house in 2009 
And I didn't get an agent until late 2012. So I was working on it for three years and then a little bit more. And then it sold, at the, as you said, at the book fair, London Book Fair in 2013. It was, it was in the newspapers because it was, there was like this bidding <laughs> war. And that's like such an amazingly, yeah. and it was like debut novel. Yeah. And I remember reading it and reading your name and thinking, oh my God, that's Jessie. That's the first time I was If it's any of... consolation, Alex, you're not the only man to have said things like, you said, <laughs> I had another guy just like, you know, try and like pick it, pick it apart for me a bit before I submitted it to give me some advice. He'd never written anything. So, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I know you meant it well. I do hang my head in shame, but you know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of an excuse. But no, it's so brilliant. So brilliant, everything that happened. And um, I loved it. And everyone loved it. And it was one of those books that was just everyone seemed to read at the same time. Yeah. It was really weird because you don't get that much anymore. You don't get, you know, it used to happen like on telly and stuff. Everyone would be doing the same thing at the same mm. time. And then you'd go into work or whatever and you'd be talking about it in the pub or whatever. <laughs> and I think that's probably yeah. um, the last time that happened where everyone mm. had I feel, a copy. Well, I feel very lucky the year it was published, you know, 2014. It was in terms of social media and things like that. It wasn't so much. And yeah. I think... It just felt like one of those moments that I had no control over. You know, I've been asked so many times since, what was it about that book that made it like that? And I was like, well, if I knew that, <laughs> I'd be a multi, multi-millionaire. <laughs> Do you get asked to teach? Like, like you know, because it's one of those things, I often get asked, you know, like, I teach young people and people start mm. and they go how do you, you know how do you do it how do you do it? how do how do i get oh, what you've got well it's yeah me. no exactly get and lucky. i think it's it, luck is a huge part it's like the fates aligning and turning up to be lucky really you yeah. do have to keep your hand in but i've asked my agent this my literary agent she said oh it was the right book right time right agent right publisher right moment and that kind of thing is not always in your control yeah. which is why in some ways it was such an it, difficult experience to quantify because I was like well you know some of this feels way beyond what the story itself holds um and I didn't realize until I went on tour with the muse my second novel I had kind of switched off a bit from the miniaturist sound I just yeah. couldn't take it anymore and I didn't realize until I went on tour quite how loved the book is yeah. by so many people yeah. Uh, obviously it has its detractors every every piece of art does otherwise I don't think it's necessarily a strong piece of art but I I, I was quite humbled by that when I realized how much it meant to some people I think probably with writing one of the best things about making jewelry is that if someone doesn't like it they just don't bother with it you know mm. it doesn't but the thing about writing is that <clears throat> everyone feels that they are entitled to, to yeah give an opinion so if they to your like face it, yeah, yeah they'll, they'll tell you and they'll tell you everything's wrong with it well it's like acting I always remember you know I thought this is the only job now I've realised writing is the same where at the end of the <laughs> night you've done a show and people will stand in the bar to your face and say well I didn't like that bit and I didn't like when you did yeah. that and I didn't like him I didn't like and I just think I don't walk into your office yeah. and give you like a pressy of whether I think you've done well or not but I guess it's because people think well you've put something out for public consumption you're fair game you're out there it's just that I don't think people realise how excruciating it can feel and how you just you just want to put your books out, you want to have your stories read and yes, you want some degree of connection and communication but I can't change the words in a book. If someone doesn't like it, then oh, there's lots of other books that they can read, you know. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Um, luckily, I wrote my book and it was, a, it was a minor flop so nobody cared whether it was good or bad. <laughs> 
So I never had to put up with any of that. No. Um, and also, that is the nice thing about jewellery, because, like, I think probably people think jewellery is so sort of, you know, unimportant or something that, that they don't care if they don't like it or not. But, yeah, um, but it's such a personal thing, because I think if somebody buys an item or is, you know, buys something for themselves, that story, that power of that, is it's so important to them. As much so as it doesn't be, matter if somebody else doesn't like the design no. or... And I think, I think the thing with books and acting is that they're one of the few... Um, and maybe with art, like painting or doing an exhibition, they're one of the few things where you might read a range of reviews. Mm. So you're reading people's opinion and then you'll take a judgment and you'll either buy the book or go and see the play or whatever it is based mm. on that. And if it doesn't live up to your expectations, you can be a bit narked that you've sort of spent your money. And so I, I suppose maybe that's it, but mm. um, I don't know. Did you suffer? Because in other art forms, if you start off with a big success, mm. there's that impossible cycle of everyone mm. wants you to repeat it mm-hmm. and you just can't because no you, well you can't it, write it, the same book again you can't write the same book again and if you did mm. everyone would say oh my god you just wrote this mm. so why are you mm. writing the same book again so everyone wants something different but they all mm. want it exactly the same and you know it's an impossible path mm. and often when you have your first success you're quite young and inexperienced did that get you or? well it's it's an interesting one because the book was published when i was just turned 32 and so I wasn't a 21 22 year old which I think would have affected me I'm just going to say to my listener that I thought you were like mid-20s or something so (laughs) I'm very youthful (laughs) no I'm not anymore but um you are and you've had more good news so we'll talk about that later but yeah. yeah well um yeah it was odd because I knew that there were other books I was going to write and that I was a writer so I was going to write Mm. and I didn't suffer a writer's block from it or anything mm. like that. The work came and actually the muse, which followed on two years later, was a very tight and quite light book. Like it was suffused with sunlight and you wouldn't know that in my personal life at the time, in my, you know, uh, yeah, my private world, I was suffering from a kind of panic at what had happened and not not feeling up to it but then I was still writing so it was quite paradoxical Mm, to face mm. that success and it wasn't that I thought well I I have to repeat it otherwise I'm doomed I just thought there is no way I will repeat the sales figures the the hoo-ha but what I have to do is prove that I'm serious I am a writer yes the first one was this crazy hit but what I have to do is kind of write through that, keep going through that. And quite bloody-mindedly, I did. And I think that's the only way you can. And and be grateful. I know that sounds a little sort of trite. But to have such a big explosion with your first yeah. book, you have to take the positive from that and be like, well, you know, at least people know who I am and might be interested in the next one. But you have to navigate an understanding that it won't happen like that again, but you're still a writer and you still want to work. be happy with the kind of success that the muse had let alone the, well you know. yeah yeah <laughs> but it was I didn't want to be known just as the Dutch Dolls House yeah. writer yeah. which is ironic because obviously I've returned You've to those characters to eight years on but yeah I mean that was the other thing 
I just didn't... I feel sometimes with novels, a novelist doesn't know what she or he is writing until the novel is done. And perhaps two, three years later, maybe 10 years, and they reread mm. it and they go, oh my goodness, I was clearly working this out or that mm. out. Or it's interpreted by other people. Mm. And that's why it's taken me this long potentially to return to Nella and her family and to understand what she means to me and how she, the, the world of the miniatures, that atmosphere, that, that um, kind of little ecosystem I've created in this impression of late 18th, oh sorry, early 18th century Amsterdam, means to me in, in a different way to the writing of the others. The television series, has that um, been a problem for you? Because when something's televised, mm. when, when a favourite book of mine is mm-hmm. televised, like the best and worst example is Captain Corelli. Mm. Um, Captain Corelli is not Nicolas Cage, <laughs> but now he's he's bloody Nicolas Cage he's in, in my head. head, and it's yeah. like and so mm. if a sequel was going to be written, I wonder if the author would have Nicolas Cage <laughs> with a crappy Italian accent. Yeah, so. it's interesting. I think the stubbornness or ferocity of my internal world is so strong that I mean, to caveat, I thought the casting of the miniatures was. Pitch perfect. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy, Haley Squires, Papa Siedu, Romola Gary. I mean, you couldn't. They were so well cast. Were you involved? Did you go out on set? And, I um, did go to set. I, I met them, but I didn't have any say in who was cast. Yeah. I didn't write the script. I was very much a sort of distant figure. Yeah. But I did meet them, and, and I was delighted with it. And we yeah. got Anya just before she went into Galactic, and obviously since Queen's Gambit and all of that, she's just this megastar. <laughs> but I met them, and they were all incredible people, and they were working really hard under a really tight filming schedule. But when I write my characters, I'm quite specific. I don't... <laughs> I'm specifically unspecific. I don't describe physical characteristics much. I think I describe okay. Marin as tall. I think Cornelia has blue eyes... I just don't go too heavy on it. And the reader, therefore, I give her the chance or him the chance to just project their own physicality as they see those characters. Yeah, because I think, I think if you're quite a visual person like me, I need, I need a... And I'm not very good at names, so I need, I need to get that person in my mm. head. So but I surely always... you would do it yourself as a reader. If you're visual, yeah, yeah. you're there in your mind, you don't even realise. Yeah, and I, and I like the space to, to mm. invent my own person. Yeah, when I read a novel, I, unless the novelist is, you know we're talking acme levels, physical descriptors. I'm not keen to be told that someone's, you know, short, stocky, got face covered in moles and a scar. I just think, oh God, now you've sort of like killed them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not what you're reading for. No. Um, Yeah, okay. Oh, next thing I just want to say, congratulations. Mm. Because since I've seen you, you've got even better than you've got a little baby. I got a baby, yeah. There's been quite a journey for you yeah. in, in not that long a time. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was born last September, Fantastic. just after... So I handed the House of Fortune in on August the 16th. And the other thing that happened, Alex, was that my parents' house burned down. This is, when we look at the jewellery, I was kind of working out where do we start. And actually, I think... Shall we look at the jewellery? And, and shall we start at <clears> you <throat> finishing The Miniaturist mm. and you get your first kind of paycheck which yes. is there's nothing like getting money for something you write because oh. it's like oh my gosh it's such a, it was such a good feeling no, 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 no. I think people think that you get sent a, a giant cardboard check you know like the lottery <laughs> but you don't like in the press it was all like oh she signed six figure deal which is obviously fantastic but you don't get all that money you get it in tranches and yeah. after ages and ages so I carried on working as a PA and then eventually I got a bit of money and then that's when I went shopping. And you, and, and you got a little bit of money and you went yeah. shopping mm. and show us what you bought. Okay. So this ring is, you know, it's not flashy, flashy, but it's gold. I think it's Cheshire. I think the mark. 
And mm. I, I looked it up and now I've forgotten because okay. I'm tired all the time. But I think it's either 1901 or 1906. And it's got three turquoise stones. And I wear it on this finger, my ring finger on my right hand. And I never, ever take it off. And I saw it before I got some money from the miniaturist. And it was on my wish list. You know, back in the day, Pinterest? Yeah. Not a, when I write a book and publish it, this is what I'm going to buy list. <laughs> Just a beautiful things list. A dreamer's Pinterest list. Yeah. And I, I never take it off. I sleep in it. I shower in it. I do everything. And it is a bit like I've married myself. <laughs> It's like a wedding ring levels. Well, I think you're um, allowed to marry yourself if you're writing a fantastic <laughs> book like that. Um, may, I ha- may I have a look? Because yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. photograph these and we'll, we'll pop them on the website. And uh, what I haven't mm. got, just explaining to my listener, mm. in jewellery we have little magnifying glasses, but jewellery is brilliant because everything has got a different name. So we've got our whole own language. Mm. And it's not just for jewellery, but it's called a loop, which is like L-O-U-P-E, I think, which is mm. like French. So it's like a little magnifying glass. And if I had that, I'd... Um, look at the hallmark and tell you as it is it's just a blur because all I've got is my glasses and the other thing you can do is like if you have like four pairs of glasses you can stack them one on top (laughs) of like that like a giant uh, kind of bee or something and that helps but it's really nice the reason I like this ring is it's a lovely kind of um, plain shape it's it's sort of rounded fatter on the front than it is on the back and the gold is a really nice old colour isn't it yeah that's what I loved about it the gold like it's not too yellow like egyptian gold and it's got a little bit of it's a lot of warmth in it so it's like an antique gold color but like mm. without checking the, the hallmark i couldn't tell you how many characters i've got a, a thing for my camera so i could do that afterwards and we yeah can, do we can I, I i have the record it. of it somewhere but it's been a while um, and it's lovely and then it's got these three cabochon turquoise set into it which are beautifully set like they're invisibly set like a gypsy set which is a flush setting which is something that's too clever for me to do i have to send it off to get that done but um yeah it just looks like a really nice piece and the turquoise is a nice color because they're a, they're actually quite a dark turquoise mm. really aren't they yeah um how lovely what a nice treat yeah and the blue and the gold of it yeah. very much sort of fitted into the aesthetic of the miniaturist itself yeah. you know the the book itself was published with a lot of blue and gold um, touches how come because your story i know has two well i'm sure you've got as many disasters in your life as anyone else <laughs> yes. but jewelry wise two really catastrophic things yeah. and, and um i've got here somewhere because i think i'm just getting up moving around everyone um i think this is an opportunity because you said you have it after you wrote the miniaturist and i don't know if you had any money or money was coming you were like how about a miniature of the mini cabinet and i started working on it but we kind of worked out the size but i think I think we probably felt afterwards that it was a bit big. You made a model that was, I don't know. This is, you. It was big around the neck. You remember it um, differently. Really? Because I had two castings of the cabinet. Now it has legs, but you're remembering it bigger. This is exact um, reproduction. So what's fascinating, you find it with jewellery so often is that that people say, I had this ring and they've got it exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it needs to go smaller still. And I'm thinking maybe we should should revisit this. I would love that. Um, And I could scale that down a bit. But you need to tell the the listeners why we need to revisit it. Well, should I tell well it's your story, but we worked on a cabinet and we made one, but we weren't 100%, as I remember, we weren't 100% happy with it. And then tell us what happened. Well, 
Yeah, we, you <laughs> made it. You had an idea to put a miniature sugar cone in there and I can't remember other miniatures that we were thinking and it had... Could it, have had a parrot, I think. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. and it yeah. was on a chain and I think the thing was that we both felt it was kind of unwearable because it was yeah. so big and, yeah. well, <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> but then what happened was in September of 2014, maybe, I think it was September 2014, I was in my writing shed at the end of my garden and I saw a shadow in the... I had a garden flat and I saw a shadow in the house and I thought it was my then boyfriend coming home. So I didn't I didn't get up or anything because I was still working. And then about an hour later, I came in and I realised all the lights were off. I thought, that's a bit weird. I'm sure I saw someone. Mm. And, uh, and then I looked to the front door and realised the front door was open. And then I turned around and I looked in the bedroom and realised my handbag had gone. And then I realised that the entire uh, dressing table that was in the in the entrance of the bedroom was empty like and then I realized I'd been robbed and they had taken what they'd done is they just swept everything off the counter and just taken it all and so they'd taken your piece that you'd you were working on with me but also all family stuff that my mum had given me or if I'm honest I'd probably nicked from the family <laughs> um treasure well, trove makes it worse doesn't it because if you if you kind mm. of borrow something long term, mm. you've always got that thing that mm. they can always have it back. And then For all sure. of a sudden... We've, and, and, and the other thing that it was of no monetary value, but the sentimental value was every single earring that I bought since I got my ears pierced when I was 12 mm. in 1994. I remember that it was a yin and yang in a little hand and foot that, you know, proper like cool. 90s. Yeah. But everything and, um, oh, it was just, it was just really, I just felt sick. Because I just thought it's all gone. And of course, I never saw any of it again. My, so my kind of thing is to try and be generous towards people whenever you can. And if someone, you know, wants to vote Brexit, try and go, OK, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> Even though I don't understand where you're coming from. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, I've come across so many stories because people come back to us when, after they've been robbed. Mm. And I just think it's like the lowest of the low to nick someone's jewellery because this is stuff. This is their life story. This is connections mm. with dead grandmothers. Yeah, 21st that's birthdays. the thing. And the bastards are going to, you know, sell it for tuppence hate. I know. And I think it's so horrible. So. It's just you'll never see it again. And one thing was a Peridot heart necklace that my grandma had given me. And yeah, I could probably seek one out somewhere but it wouldn't be the one that she gave me um but then I decided okay I will start again but what my rule was is that I have to wear it I don't Mm. want to buy loads and loads and loads and Mm. loads of stuff and then just have it resting in my house and Mm. worried what will happen again so most of the time I've got a much more pared back collection now because that was like 30 years worth of you know bits and bobs Mm. but I tend to wear nearly everything value because I like 30 years worth of bits and bobs because one day you'll you know you'll be I don't know sitting with your kids or grandchildren Mm. or whatever it is and and going through it and telling the stories I mean Mm. one of the things that interested me in doing this podcast was that thing that memory I have and so many people have of going through a mother or grandmother's jewelry box box, yeah and they'd say oh you know your father gave that to me when we were dating or whatever and it's got this connection to family history and stuff yeah for sure but this lovely golden turquoise ring were you wearing it at the the time why how did that survive because I was wearing it yeah 
you just got to just... stay blinged up the <laughs> yeah, whole exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. And every time I write a novel, I buy myself a ring because the rings are very portable and wearable. I mean, yeah. I've come bare-fingered today, but yeah, I have a gorgeous jade... 20s sort of cocktail ring for the muse and a peridot and diamond again deco i love i love like 20s deco mm. for for the confession but then i don't think i bought anything for the rest of this girls and medusa i was getting a bit like oh god jess you're going down the route again <laughs> of like hoarding like smog on his pile so yeah but it's it's a kind of present to myself yeah. and i always say like i you know, I'd like to get to old age with my knuckles like dragging across the yeah. floor with all the books I've written and the rings I've bought myself. Well, a lot of people who've inherited, particularly it's, it's sort of grandparents' mm. rings, they can just remember their grandmother's hands. Cause, mm. You know, you know, like sometimes they're just completely rings, completely ringed up on every yeah. finger and yeah. bracelets and stuff. And yeah. you always have that. I mean, I think hands are, are weirdly important, aren't they? Like you can sort of remember your grandfather's hands as being these huge <laughs> things, perhaps with a watch or something yeah. like that. So. But it's also so now rings are the only jewellery I can wear without garroting myself or having my earlobes ripped because my baby just yeah. wants to like well suffocate me yeah. <laughs> with if we do if we do another I'll, I'll put on, on the website I'm going to photograph this I found it in my box of bits yeah and it's just um, leftover um, cabinet with two doors but without the legs so it does come with legs so I'm sure I've got some legs somewhere yeah I'll photograph it I'm going to photograph it with a sort of scale so you can see that yeah. we think it's a bit big but I mean this wouldn't last a minute with a new baby I should oh think. no no so there's no rush eh no when he's a teenager <laughs> Um, brilliant. So that ring survived. Um, yes, because I had it on. Yeah. And then the other pieces. So let's move straight on to disaster number two. Yeah, let's two, go to disaster like this, number two. Yeah, which is the brooch. So yeah. will you describe the brooch? So for this us? this is um, a an oval brooch with a sort of faux Art Nouveau design around the edges, and then what looks like pale pink plastic. It sounds lovely, doesn't it? Well, the way you describe it, it's <laughs> so classy. It so and then a, a little Eiffel Tower it, it in the middle. Pretty. It is it's actually, it's pretty. actually a very pretty. It's quite sort of kitsch. And I wore it a lot in my uh, 20s, actually. And it says on the back, Souvenir de la Tour Eiffel, Paris, <laughs> Paris. <laughs> and it says MD at the bottom, which is 1500 in Roman. So I don't think it's a Tudor piece, Alex. It's uh, actually a, a plastic, a piece of plastic, one yeah. of the early examples of plastic. <laughs> it's actually really nice. And what's weird, um, I can't see now because it's hot in here. And I had my glasses on my head and they've gone, they've gone sweaty. <laughs> what a lovely image. up your own Lovely glasses. image, I'll give you. And um, the plastic is quite interesting because it's like it's slightly pearly, and yeah. I don't know that it is plastic. It's a kind of a bit, it's a bit loose in there. I don't know how it's. It's just such a weird little brooch. I'm but not, it's weirdly, you know, and it's also uneven. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what to make it. But also, it's quite nicely made because it's hollow. Yeah. So that's not a really cheap piece, even though it's a, a sort of souvenir. I mean, it's been made. Um, yeah. Because other pieces like this would be cast in something like white metal, which is what you make sort of toy cars out of. You know? Yeah. It would just be a solid casting and things. But this has actually been nicely made. I think probably it's plate on copper because sometimes you get a bit of reflection and, and it's slightly sort of coppery where yeah. things might have worn off. I like it. And so this was your... Well, I thought it was my mum's mm. that she bought when she was a schoolgirl or a young woman going abroad for the first time which of course in the 50s early 60s wasn't so common no but then she said because i told her i was coming on this podcast i was like look mum we've got to like do a family heirloom <laughs> thing because 
What we haven't said yet is that my parents' house burned down last year and all the jewellery went with the fire. (laughs) And this brooch somehow miraculously was at my house and is one of the only things we've got left. But anyway, and so I said to her, look, what's the story? And she said, I think it was Auntie Ethel. So her, my great Auntie Ethel, perhaps went to Paris back in the day and brought it back. Um, and like, you know, I like the idea of Andy Ethel. Auntie Paris, well, my family on both sides, really, but you know, very much sort of uh, working class, lower middle class Battersea for generations, like through the early 20th, late 19th, right to well, mm. my grandpa died in 2003, no, five, uh, age 93. So it's for them to go to Paris and you know, be abroad like that was a big deal. I can't imagine it. Do you know the film Up the Junction with a very young Dennis Waterman? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's all set in, around Bassey Junction. Captain Junction. And, and it'll yeah. be, it's black and white days and Dennis Waterman, yeah. um, who, sadly, he died recently, didn't yeah. he? But he was a very young lad. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was quite a big journey. they go up west, you know, yeah, once yeah. Every, every yeah. six months as a bit of a treat. Well, um, my, my grandpa, well, I mean, they, he, they didn't even have a loo in the house. Oh, God, it sounds, it's, you know, that okay. um, Monty Python sketch, <laughs> you had a cardboard they, box. They were happy. <laughs> well, they were, yeah. but it was also, you know, there was a lot of sadness, like not Ethel's family, but um, her brother, they were all um, taken out by a V8 bomb yes. in the Blitz and grandpa lost two wives and you know i'm not a great sort of military person i don't really understand it but i love my granddad and um he had a softness to him and what i found out later was that all his brothers were killed in the first world war which oh is why i've got gosh. those so behind me i've got those photos of, of rather nice sweet looking um military men so yeah there is something about what people used to have to go through yeah that sadness without perhaps the sort of mechanisms in place to talk about them yeah. and you just get on with it yeah um you know what we've got in common because you so rarely meet people whose houses have burned down and your house. me also <laughs> so we lost everything when i was about it was almost quite liberating really i mm. wouldn't have been for my mum and dad when i was about um 18 19 really? the house burnt down to the ground mm. and um what was the cause squirrels there were some great storms and i don't know what storms they were but there were great storms that mm. and, and a tree went through the roof of the house and they got the, the house rebuilt mm. but um in the time being a squirrel had nested in there and he gnawed through the wires oh, and, sure. and um and then um the neighbors heard an explosion and um you know initially we thought it could have been something more dodgy because my mum was sort of like local magistrate and governor and all that sort of thing it was the time when there was a lot of trouble with the ira so there was right. some thought that it was an explosion but it wasn't it was just the way that it was the a house squirrel went down. it was a bloody squirrel wow. the IRA. it was a separatist squirrel yeah and uh, but anyway so the house burned down to the ground so we lost we lost everything 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 and um very few things escaped so part of the house must have not burned down, or that was in a box. Yeah, that didn't get no, to... well, that was at my house. That brooch oh, was with so me. You, 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 so the, the the purloining of my mother's saved, belongings, I'd actually done. I've done them a great favour. Right. I saved favor. them the Paris brooch that was Auntie Ethel's. That's a very sweet brooch. Yeah. I like that one. Let's move on. I, I love 
can we talk about this ring? Because I'm just dying to. Will you, will you describe this amazing... I mean, um, where do I start? I mean, it's a... It's it a knuckle just, duster. It's just, well, you're talking about buying rings. Yeah. And is that like the ring of all rings? I mean... The thing was, do you have any more? Do you have any more spectacular in your collection than that? No, I don't no, think so. Is, Not is... this is a knockout. Uh, this this ring belonged to Jackie Collins. Jackie, do Collins. I need to say more? I mean, <laughs> you, you need to tell. Us. So basically, Jackie Collins. I was often asked when the miniatures came out, like, who are your literary heroes? And I'm, I'm often asked it, and I think people expect me to say Margaret Atwood and others, and they are obviously. Mm. But there's there's something about Jackie Collins that I really admire. And she was a very hard worker. And she had a good sense of self-awareness. She was very much in love with her family. And mm. she was a good laugh. And she was strong. And she sort of understood the sort of balance between being a public and a private figure. And she really protected her privacy. Um, and she gave a lot of women a lot of pleasure mm. with her writing. And she wasn't afraid to be glamorous and to dress up. And she didn't find that being interested in fashion and being glamorous and sexy and, you know, sending herself up a bit with all the leopards and the palm mm. trees and the swimming pools, it didn't detract from her, her intelligence. And so I always admired her. And then when I was in uh, Pasadena... I um I have a cousin in Pasadena. Oh, do you? <laughs> well, I when like I, I I didn't uh, spend much time there, but I was at the Huntington Library at okay. a historical fiction conference, which sounds quite dry, but actually um, the head speaker was Hilary Mantel, wow. and it was amazing. It was just such a wonderful weekend, but it coincided with the estate sale of Jackie Collins, some of Jackie Collins' belongings by her children at Bonhams in L.A., and uh, it was in the papers and stuff because some of the stuff was just wild, like leopard print and bamboo dining sets and all kinds of, you know, mainly leopard-based stuff. So much, couldn't you? Well, I mean, the import Both tax, things, Alex, yes. would have been insane. Yeah, but then there was this ring and I just thought, it's just fate. I'm in LA at the weekend of the auction. So I put in a bid and I went to San Francisco for a visit. I'd never been. And I found out when I was there that I'd won the lot. And I wasn't going to get back to Bonhams in time to pick it up. And if I was late, then it would have been import tax on a quite expensive mm. ring. So my friend Alice, who lives in LA, she went and picked it up for me. And she just sent me a photo on her phone of just her, like, wearing the ring like this. I was like, do you have the paperwork? Do you have the box? She's like, no, I just went and picked the ring up. I was like, thanks. But actually, she did do me a favour. And I put it on and wore it through uh, the security at the airport. <laughs> And sat in economy wearing. I think it's the only I time think they that Jackie. Because if you're wearing that ring and sitting in the economy, there's something funny going there's on. Something, right? It's not it's, right. This is a first class ring. So, do you know what the stone is? Yes, I think I, I think it's um, black diamond. No, the, oh, the, 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 the big one. Citrine. It's a, it, it's, it's not. A it's not like you know. It's a very well. It's a beautiful. I mean, so what we've got is is we've got a faceted, but it's a lovely cut. It's not. Not a usual cut. It doesn't have a table on the front. It's all faceted citrine, but the citrine's like really orangey. Yeah, and when the yellow, light shoots through it, it's, it's like just a great. Flame. It's almost like a fire open. Or yeah, something. that's that's a. Be- I think that's any stone, a beautiful stone. You know, mm. they can be valuable or not valuable depending on how beautiful they are. So that is one hell of a citrine. Mm. And then um, it has, I suppose, you know, it would almost be like a snake, like around the setting, and then and then weaving its way around the finger in a symmetrical pattern. It's almost snake-like. It has this slinky black diamond encrusted 
um, I don't know, that just reminds me of a snakeskin. <laughs> but then it's also got either side, it's got two little white diamond bits on as well, as if to sort of tying the whole thing together. And it's absolutely beautiful. And it's quite high on the finger, isn't it? I mean, that's, Yeah, you can't... You're not going to... Forget put, you're wearing that. No, you can't put rubber gloves on to do the washing up in that. Um, I'm just a bit concerned because I think Jackie Collins wanted you to have it, but I think she would have disapproved of you going back um, in economy. In economy, no, I did her a, a disservice. Mind, I know, darling. I <laughs> but it's a beautiful <laughs> ring, and Jackie Collins' ring. I just, yeah, it's hers, and you know, be more Jackie Collins, be more Jackie. That's what I would say. So, um, I've never read. Jackie Collins. No. Should I read one? And which one should Lucky I read? Lucky is a good one. I mean, okay. look, they are quite bump bustery and they're, you know, hey. they're hot and sultry and they're a bit silly in places. And, and some of it's a little dated these days, but there's no doubt that she could, like, tell a story, you know. They're fun. In your writing and in your reading, mm. are you story? Is it the story or is it the, is it the writing? Because I've found myself drifting more into reading, writing for the writing, mm. not for the story. Yeah. I tend to read for the writing. When I read a writer, it's for their ability, really. But their, Jackie their kind of, of surely, it's like, it's like you just want to find out if that yeah, that's a very different. The, the, yeah, there's like to, a you know, it's a, there's a time and a place to read a certain book, and I think for Jackie, it's like on the beach, on the beach, on the sun lounger. You know, she would never have. I don't want to speak for Jackie Collins, but I don't suppose she would have you know expected to be you know picked apart by intellectuals at the LRB. She wanted to give people a good time, so those were those kind of books. But I also you know I read a lot of writers whose writing is. Yeah, I would say presents far more intellectual. Yeah. I think writing was quite an early medium where there was value in selling well and being popular. Mm. And in quite a lot of mediums, um, popularity would diminish your standing yeah, in... Yeah, definitely. I mean, she had from like... the intellectual sort of thing. But. Exactly. I mean, she had like 37 or 8 number one New York Times bestsellers. And publishers pretty soon realised that this was going to pay the bills... Yeah, there are a few writers who are slightly, people turn their noses up, but they basically bankroll publishing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, obviously, like, Bloomsbury and J.K. Rowling is a good example. And, yeah, or um, Lee Child or somebody yeah, like that, or Martina yeah. Cole. And so they are sort of valued. I think quite often in other in other mediums, um, it might be slightly sort of frowned upon. I Certainly, as you get more arty, certainly as you get more jewellery mm. or ceramics or something, mm. the more... The more volume you sell and the more affordable it is mm. and the more popular you get, you tend to have a, a kind of section of the industry who thinks that it's sort of, of, of less value. Yeah, it's become so, devalued because it's yeah, much I, quite, more I think, popular. Right, I think probably um, the kind of writing business is a bit more progressive in that I sense. think you're probably a bit optimistic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you do get book clubs. I mean, I know book clubs that you would be a bit scared about and literally yeah. you know I've heard people say oh you read it in the translation you read it in the English did you oh, and it's gosh. like some sort of Russian thing and yeah. you think you think, oh Jesus well books yeah really? certain books are definitely wielded by certain types of readers as a status symbol of you know superiority and that's very tedious and I think there's a lot of intellectual snobbery and one-upmanship in publishing or in reading definitely and we forget that most people are not reading that much you know some people get around to reading one book a year this and that's like, the majority of the British not, population. But so, is this not like a golden period for publishing? I, I just seem to 
read some results for some publishers and they mm. were doing really well for that. It's like well, it depends what books mirror. are being bought, you know. Somebody like Martina or Lee Child are shifting 10, 20,000 copies a week. Yeah. I think a more literary writer would be delighted if they sold 5,000 copies in a year. You know, I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it, it's exactly that. It's that when something becomes popular, there is a suspicion around it. Oh well, if Joe blogs down the road likes it, then I I have nothing in common with him. How could I? But did you, know? you read like uh, what's it, the Thursday Murder Club or something? Yeah, like, Richard. Like, that's really good fun. Yeah. And my mum read it, and I read it after her, and then we chatted about it. It was just really good. Mm. But nobody thought it was, you know intellectually no but not every book has to be it was just fun and something you could chat about and it it, it did exactly the right job there's those Um, kind of books where they can be multi-generational are very uh, rare but they're very special when they come along Um, do you keep books as well because yeah yeah yeah, I do. Uh, the books a bit like jewelry so so all the books we have you can sort of remember and my favorite thing about books is is that they'll often have an airplane ticket or a, <laughs> yeah. a cinema ticket or so you know as the bookmark yeah. and you go oh my gosh I you know. know and it falls out yeah. and the pages have gone a bit yellow at the edge but some people some people get rid of them and they say well if I'm not re- you know I read it mm. I'm going to get rid of it but it, for me it would be like like parting with a little bit of my history <laughs> I don't know what I just keep them I'm pretty much I keep a lot of books and a lot of hardbacks I keep uh, so what are you reading at the moment and how many books do you read oh well either? I mean I'm reading a, a novel called The Lost Children Archive Got, Valeria, you, you do have a nine-month-old, so, so I do. honestly, yeah, so you've got other things to I've keep you busy. I've managed to read the side of a <laughs> dummy on, yeah. bottle packet to work out how to give it to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I've not read as much as I'd like to. Earlier this year, was it this year? Yeah, I judged the Costa Prize. Oh, and that yes, was a hell of a lot of books to read. So, you know, I'm not too bothered. I'm not one of these, you know people at the end of the year on Instagram go here is my list of books like, oh my god please get a life um, but yeah I mean I read when I can and I'm reading a good one at the moment okay so once my listeners all three of them have, have read <laughs> The House of Fortune what are you reading what would be the next one to read uh, to? I mean very different to The House of Fortune but hmm. I've, I've just really got into the writing of Valeria Luiselli who's Mexican, but she has written some. I oh know some one of these people. She's written a <laughs> translation, Alex. But the the one, the Lost Children Archive, that was long listed for both the Booker and the Women's Prize in 2019, which isn't necessarily the reason why I'd recommend it. But she is a brilliant writer, and it's extremely readable, but full of ideas, and it's bold, and it's brave, and it's about a family going on a road trip out of New York down to Arizona to follow the writer journalist father's obsession with the Apaches, mm. but also. Also, she as a journalist is really interested in all the lost children who are coming up from Mexico across the border and being lost. And it's also about their own family kind of fracturing. And she's just, her powers of observation and her turn of phrase is fantastic. Would you just say the name of the book and the author again so that we've got it clear? The Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli. Brilliant. Okay, well... It might be The Lost Children or Lost Children Archive, but it, I mean, that, you'll find it. Um, so Jackie Collins, I love Jackie Collins ring. <laughs> I love, yeah. I love this this whole um, ring thing as well. Yes. I kind of want to see all your. I, I know. I mean, I, I I have a hell of a lot of rings. Like a book and a ring, you know. <laughs> I could see a little exhibition. Um, the the weird thing about this ring for me is that it's really heavy. Mm. It's not the most wear. You know, it's a cocktail ring. It's it really is going down to the pool in West Hollywood, dusk, margarita in hand. 
I kind of see bikini and high heels yeah. at the same time. Or jumpsuit, with a, you know. With a sort of, yeah, Jackie Collins type of... Yeah. Well, it's super cool. I'm a bit jealous of this ring, I think. It's, it's like an amulet. Ring. It's like a, you know, wear it to feel protected yeah. and to remind yourself of everything. I don't say you, but, you know, I kind of wear it as a reminder sometimes of who I am and what yeah. I've achieved. And yeah. Well, you're definitely the Jackie Collins of our time. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Collins of South East London. <laughs> Can we look at this this next piece, which is lovely? Yeah. So it's, describe it for us, and, okay. and I will photograph it. Yeah. So this is a um, this is just a simple silver chain, mm-hmm. and on the chain are three enamelled. Are they hexagons? Yes. Uh, um, three enamelled hexagon shapes. I'm still counting. Yes. Yeah. Six <laughs> six aside, and they are the astrological symbols of Leo, Virgo, and Taurus in various colours and uh, yeah that's that's the Where description they, I love them where are they from these these amulets and, and did you get it with all three no on, so actually the chain was a gift from a jeweller on Instagram um, hmm. so I'm very lucky to sometimes be sent pieces because I think some people have picked up that I'm a bit of a jewellery freak and I love wearing new pieces it's a nice chain because it's, yeah. it's they're long links but they're also almost sort of slightly worn or something it's very soft yeah like that chain and so the first charm that came along was the leo yeah and my partner bought it for me for my birthday the designer was called david anderson Mm. and he was norwegian and Mm. he had a jewelry company from i think the middle of the 19th century and Mm. it's it survived in whatever iteration. And I guess that those are 70s. They look mm. 70s to me. And um, then when our baby was born, I jokingly said, oh, you, you know, got to get me a push present, which I think is a bit naff. But um, to my surprise... You get a present out of it, <laughs> He was very... I think, I think the whole experience of seeing our baby being born and getting through it all, he's like, yeah, I'm going to buy something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sourced the Virgo because our baby was born in mm. September. And then I bought, I found again, it's like eBay, Etsy, wherever I can find it. The, the Taurus one came from a jewellery seller in the States and my partner is Taurus. So I don't know. It's like a kind of, it's us on on my body all the time. And you three, it's so, it's so lovely. It's something funny about jewellery, isn't it? Because um, you could buy nice things and have them at home, but I just... Feel there's something so different about something that's portable and that you wear mm. against your skin yeah. and that you wear. Yeah. And to. most of the time, you know, when I'm away from them or I'm doing something, I'll wear it. So it's like, oh, they're with me. Yeah. yeah. And I think I have a locket with uh, my partner and me in it. And I have another stone that I had engraved with my baby's initial and the date he was born. Mm. But this one, I think, includes all of us. It's great. What I like is because they're enamelled. And um, what goes on behind the enamel is something I've been fascinated in because it was one of my first jobs I had to do. And it's called um, machine engraving. Mm. And you get, on, on the background, you get a little cutting tool and it does these mechanical but wavy lines going out, almost like kind of like 
rays coming out from a sun or something and then you enamel on top and it gives it this it sort of catches the light and mm. gives it that amazing effect so they've all been a machine engraved underneath and then enameled on top and that's kind of an old art that you don't see very much anymore it's, uh, you often see a lot of things sort of mm. from victorian times onwards but but more recently it's kind of died out and there aren't many people doing it in the uk so i kind of i like that um, mm. they're very pretty colors too i mean obviously i I don't have any others because I don't have a connection to any other astrological symbols in that way. But the whole set you can get, and mm. they're all stunning. Mm. All the different, some are sort of plum coloured. I think Capricorn is quite plummy, or maybe black. And yeah, it's the Gemini one's pretty cool. I'm going to photograph those. Um, <laughs> I'll photograph them, and I'll photograph the slightly crappy, um, tarnished um, bits that I found from the cabinet and these other pieces. Really selling that, it there, right now. Yeah. Well, no, it's been it's been sat around. So I've got a little box of bits. And yeah. It's been sat What's that made of? Because that's not silver, is yeah, it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's just, just gone. Just silver that ha- that's been sat in a box. Tarnished. And like I said, the legs are missing. Yeah. But I think it needs to be. We need to make it smaller so yeah. that it can be easily worn. Well, we should do... I think we should do a range together. Right, I think we'll we should get, get all my it. books and we pick three or four pieces. That's that would be fun, That's what I think it? we should do. Okay. We'll talk, we'll, we'll, talk. <laughs> we'll talk later. My people talk to your people. <laughs> no, I like that idea. Yeah. Brilliant. So I'm going to say thanks for showing us these pieces, Jessie. No, um, thank you. Put all the details of your, I guess, you know, website and the new book, which yeah. is a good start. Although my problem is that I, <laughs> I get into bed. I like that you're honest. You've read three pages. I kind of just read a review, couldn't I? You could and have said, just oh like, my God, it's it so good, it's but so good. Think, so what I do is I, I, is I get into bed and then I kind of open the book. Oh, I'm the and same. And when I'm busy at work and I start reading and about two pages later, I'm like, <laughs> I know. you know. It's really hard to really read a lot is. of books. It, it is. And I got through loads. We went on holidays and I got through loads. Yeah. But what what I tend to do is I find, um, like, we went to Sardinia, so... You just go to a bookshop and say, give me all the kind of crappy crime fiction based in Sardinia. And I tend to read, <laughs> you know, location-based. So you like reading based. location-based stuff? Yeah, okay. it's good fun. Yeah. And I don't really care, you know, what it's like because you're just sort of lying around. Yeah, yeah. And you've yeah. got all the time in the world to read. But I've loved all of your books. Thank um, you. I think I've read everything. Maybe a children's one I haven't read the whole thing on. That would be the easiest to read. Um, I mean, it would be over and you could read it <laughs> quickly <laughs> in one night. <laughs> Um, no, actually, um, certainly Miniaturist was one of those ones that actually kept me yeah. awake because it's kind of getting spooky and you, before you can go to sleep, you need to find out what the hell's going on. But I you? wonder if it appealed to you as well as an artist because I think a lot of people who are actors or artists or makers, they really like that book. Because ah. it's a book about it's a book about a maker, isn't it? It's a book about yeah, someone absolutely. who's, you know, and the Miniaturist crops up again in the House of Fortune. It's about someone who has the power to affect mood or decisions through objects. Yeah through yeah. you know the story of objects yeah and the people infusing meaning into essentially inanimate things it's fascinating because i think we need it and um i always think if you if you design something i suppose it's like writing a book really if you allow the person who you're giving this thing you've created to mm. the space if you make the work seriously enough and you allow them the space they can then put their their own story and narrative For and sure. i'm sure you know, I don't know, but I imagine that you must get messages from people who's, who say that book helped me through a difficult time or it changed my life or it made me realise something. So so you haven't told them what to do or how to feel or how no. to get through something, but you've taken it seriously enough to allow them the space to, 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 to discover things about themselves. Definitely. And I feel that the reader is the person who completes that circle, completes mm. the project of a book. It's not really a novel until it's read by someone and... 
absolutely the power of novels and the power of paintings or any piece of art is that it's not moralistic or didactic it allows the reader to come to it and take what he or she needs from it for themselves and for me making jewelry it's kind of almost not really jewelry until someone Mm. buys it and wears it then it becomes what it's meant to be and also they put their own stories and emotions because it might be a gift from someone special or something so that's what completes the 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 cycle or the journey of it i kind of feel like it's the the reading of the book or the wearing of the jewelry that that turns it into the piece that it's supposed to be yeah and i get you know i get asked a lot oh are you that character you know how much of it's autobiographical and i just think well it's the reader who will find herself in those yeah. characters and I think often what happens sometimes characters are so convincing or a story is so convincing because it's speaking to a reader and she feels so seen yeah. because it's like you said at the beginning if you're passionate enough about something or take it seriously enough you're concentrated enough on it it will attract attention and it will turn outwards eventually yeah. to, to your audience I love that idea because you know making a piece of jewellery you can design over a few days or a week and then make over a few days or a week and then you've got to kind of sell it so it's quite a short span but still you need to have right from the start you need to have enough passion about it to drive you through all the difficulties and problems but um, writing the miniseries, that, that's like four years. So it's, <laughs> it's got to have a great deal of drive and passion right from the start or you just wouldn't have completed the... No. I mean, you know, I'm a very non-disciplined person generally, but you have to write all of my books. I've had to. And I think particularly with The House of Fortune because of being pregnant while writing it and lockdown and then the fire and blah, all of yeah. the stuff that happened. Weirdly, the writing is the one thing that kind of keeps you yeah. on a level. I'm going well. to photograph these right now. I did send photos. Um, oh, yeah, no, we've got photos of everything, haven't we? Yeah, I took I'm some pretty good ones. I'm not going to You were so nicely organised. Oh, I am. It's the PA in me, Al, unfortunately. Um, oh, yeah, well, thank heavens. <laughs> I, I kind of I could... hate it about myself, but I'm so, like, <laughs> organised. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com